0: podcast. This is Bruce. This is John.
1: This is Blix. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out amazing new places, new civilizations, and incredible dangers in the Fringeworthy universe. We've been having a lot of discussions about power centers and things that are out there on the fringe pads that you might run into. And we're going to add to that now some of our ideas of some sample power centers, uh, civilization nexus, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, where some race, some civilization has found out about the fringe paths and has gone out to exploit it, much like IDET has done, but with their own spin because they're not IDET. They're not the UN. They can be much, much different than IDET. Each of us has their own take on it. And we're going to basically do round robin and ask each other questions and try to get you to see a really cool idea for not just a single world for you to explore or a single world for you to deal with, but actually a collection of worlds. Your eye depth, especially in the late campaign, is going to have to deal with this other competing civilization, the other transdimensional civilization. So who wants to go first? Paul, Paul's, Paul's gonna go first. <laughs>
2: well, let me introduce you to the Serenissima Republica de Venezia, which is a modern rendition of the of the Republic of Venice. Take Venice, Italy, and from the Wikipedia entries and whatnot, and project it forward five, six hundred years, and bring the technology up past the 2012-2013 uh, levels where the things that are sort of near future for us are possible there. Now, Venice came to its rise in power by becoming a powerful trade and merchant empire. At one time, dominating all of the commercial fleets that sailed around the Mediterranean and controlling the spice trades and the trade of other goods. So project that onto the fringe paths. It controls, it dominates its territory, it's it's the nodes surrounding it by creating by making all of those nodes subservient client states. It makes them dependent on the Merchant Republic of Venice's ability to provide them the goods they need. Now the one way that it retains in power is with and keeping those in client states is it does never it does not ever provide the means to produce those products. It will sell you something, but not the tools that make it. And usually it has a planned-in obsolescence. Something will last so, only so long before it wears out. Plastic cogs or materials that, that deteriorate over time. So you have to buy it again if you want to continue using it.
0: So you, you, they, they learn from Ford.
2: Okay. <laughs> hmm They also use their version of the Fringeworthy. In their case, Exonauts. Explorers of the Outside who will go in, in, in and they will influence or, dis, or dissuade a client state from invention or production. So if there's a Thomas Edison out there, they'll buy him off. Hmm. So if there's a really great inventor, they will pay him to invent things that really aren't going to take off or aren't going to um, be something that the Republic of Venice wants to compete on. Or they'll you know, funnel him off to one side, making a better plow, a better, better grain mill, or something like that, and keep him busy in busy work so they can maintain the, the preeminence of their own product. And if that simply doesn't work, they assassinate.
0: Uh, it reminds you a bit uh, from the Discworld novels, Leonard of Quirm, who is basically a, a permanent guest of, of, the, of, of, the, of, the, of the of Lord Vetinari. He's an inventor. He makes things. Most of the things turn to weapons, but anyway.
1: <laughs> okay, there's something I don't uh, quite understand here, Paul, and that is, is that you have this one world that is dominating all the others and it's making them all trading clients, basically places to sell the goods that's provided by the, the primary world, much like uh, American colonies were considered to be the places where English manufacturing would be dumping its, its materials out and they were just sending raw materials back. So my question to you is, how is your portal system set up? Because this is a very narrow conduit that you're pushing a world full of material through, even finished goods, uh, to get to these other worlds that they're now supposedly dominating.
2: It's not a secret on their world. It's dominated by the republic itself and the, and the exonauts is their version of the fringe worthy they're sort of explorer corps who are sort of birds in a gilded cage they are treated like royalty they're put up in grand houses they have their own area but they're always surrounded by agents of the republic who watches over their families okay that's not that wasn't my question though paul
1: my question was that you're taking products from one world, the, the main primary world, and you're taking them over these other worlds where they're selling them. Mm-hmm. What are you asking? What do they get in return? No, I'm asking how are they moving enough material to make it worth their while to do that? I mean, you're, you've got a 25-foot portal, and you've got to travel down the French pass, and you've got to take it out the other side. you got a whole world to supply. It would seem to me that they would be wanting to build factories on the worlds to produce the products that they want them to to, uh, to buy from them rather than them moving this across the fringe pass. You
2: no, know, they're holding down their neighbor's tech level.
1: Well, how do they get the products to the people then? They're always gonna be
2: in great uh, scarcity then. Just a the regular truck or the land train like they use in, in Australia, where you can use one operator that pulls a great deal of cargo. But they're not mastering or control over somebody that's of an equal tech level. They're holding down the tech levels of the nodes surrounding them to make sure that they stay in power.
0: So basically, the Venetians are at 21st century. Let's just call it 21st century. And they're looking for clients who are, what, 16th, 18th century? Somebody who's steam, at best. 18th, 19th century, okay.
2: Or if they just force somebody to regret... They don't want a challenger in their area. They don't. The real Venice was always challenged by surrounding states that tried to wipe them out or, or overrun them and was jealous of their, of their wealth. Whether that was Byzantines, the Franks, the Lombards. So that sort of paranoia has carried on through the centuries into a modern version of the fringe past where they're worried about another fringe-capable empire. So they hold down the nodes they're aware of and the civilizations around them by making them dependent on what they can produce that's of a higher tech level. And also things like, uh, medical, like viral antivirals and other antibiotics. They're not the Walmart of the fringe paths, No. Okay. So, yeah. So
1: let's, let's talk about what it is that they're actually providing to these worlds that these worlds are willing to give up their independence to get. So you talked about medicines.
0: Okay. Uh, what else? Well, if you want to keep the wealthy under your control, a truck can carry a whole lot of uh, iPads, you know, or tablets that basically run run for a couple hours, and then you have to then pay to get the get the juice to recharge them again. John, we're talking a world here. We're not talking about just a city on the other side of the portal. For wherever the portal is on that world, if it's an alt, then that's the only way in. So you can start that one city and work your way out.
1: You still have that bottleneck. It seems to me the only things that would be worthwhile to move through there would be medicines, life-saving medicines, like that would stop plagues and weaponry. I can't see anything else that would, these people would want so badly that they would be willing to be you know, somebody else's client state when you can't provide their basic necessities. You can't provide what they need in order to maintain whatever it is that you're trying to give them. You can't build a uh, national defense on 25 surface-to-surface
3: missiles. Well, I have a thought. What if they give these guys computer systems? They don't teach them how to build them, but they give them computer systems that you know, basically help them run everything. However, they don't teach them anything about how to write software, and the software that they give them expires itself. So that they have to keep giving them an updated patch, or else all your machines will shut down. If it's twenty first century,
0: you can. Uh, the, the, you know, there's no hard drive. There's there's no DVD drive, so to speak, on the on the on the computers. Everything's done wirelessly. There's no way for them to write their own software, to put it in there, unless they have the tools. And you're not going to provide them with the tools. You're just going to provide them with the software, and it's all updated wirelessly.
3: Right, and and it could even have it so that you that they've given them, you know, like a satellite system.
0: I
2: was just about to say that a weather satellite and a downlink.
3: And the, yeah, and that's what that's what downlinks all their software to them. So if they don't pay up or they don't play ball, they don't get their software update, and all their software outdates itself and shuts down. Yeah, because the problem with
0: weapons, and this actually came up in "Guns of the South" by uh, Harry Turtledove.
1: That hack. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The South realized they could take all these empty casings and make new bullets. They weren't dependent upon the South Africans, spoiler, to, to give them more, more bullets. They could make their own bullets. It would be black powder, not, not smokeless, even though smokeless was available. Uh, but still, they could make new bullets.
2: You could do that with a modern version of a firearm because there's such a thing as the electric primer. Yeah. It's non-mechanical. When you pull the trigger, it sends an electric charge that zaps the primer, and the primer then detonates and ignites the powder. So you provide a just like you know how the U.S. Army is, the Marine Corps is. They have to have that special purpose triangular, octahedral fitting battery that is not available in the civilian market, and provides some crazy, only available there voltage. They can't produce it. They can They can make the bullets. They can make the powder. They can't
0: make that primer. The batteries made out of rare earths that are not available unless you're at least 20th, 20th century technology to, to extract from, from the ore. So, yeah, at that point, yeah, they can't make the battery. They can't get, they can't get the voltage and current levels in anything they can make. You know, of course, it won't stop somebody. You can see some guy walking around with these wires sticking out of that hole, <laughs> hooked up to a big old lead acid battery behind him, trying to get the voltage. And you go to make them caseless. And suddenly there's no casings to put them in. You have to buy the bullets. Because if you try to make caseless, it'll it'll rot if you if you don't do it right. And the Venetians have figured out how to make caseless that doesn't rot when they get wet when it gets wet. You know, that's been that was always a problem with caseless rounds. They if they got wet, <laughs> yeah, just throw them away. <laughs> So, the weapons are always in demand because, uh, not the weapons, but the bullets are always in demand. Hey, here, here's yeah. a gun. It fires just fine. We use these special square bullets that made all of this material that, that, that goes boom. Okay, so, Paul, how many
1: worlds are part of this uh, power center you've created?
2: I had decided it extended
1: four nodes, positive and negative. But how many actual worlds? Because we know that the, some of them will be locked up and not all of them will be usable.
2: I was considering it a minor power center. So no more than six, possibly as many as 12.
1: So 12 possible worlds. Um, how many of them do you think would be primes?
0: Well, no more than four. <laughs> <So> obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another one. And what, the other ones they've locked down so they can't get out?
2: I would think that would be part of their plan, that if they can't use it or they, they're having trouble dominating it, they simply use a high, the highest level security key they own and, sh- and seal it. They don't want another fringe-capable empire close enough to their home. They're paranoid in that manner.
0: This sounds a bit Soviet, but do they have political of- political officers in their exo squads? No. They have a
2: republic, which has a, a leader, the Primarch, and he is elected from a council. And then he's elected for life. But it's not a hereditary position. So when he kicks off, they have another vote and choose from the other ten. Those ten represent a hundred. And those hundred are gained from the, from the most influential uh, merchant families. So they do tend to vote to to benefit themselves.
0: Yeah. But what's keep the exos from going to the world and saying, we're not supposed to tell you this, but here again,
2: the exonaut families are sort of a protected class. They live in like a, an elaborate neighborhood where they're catered to and taken care of because they bring everything in and out. But at the same time, it's, it's, technically a gilded cage. They're always under the scrutiny of the Republic. So it's sort of like they're kind of held hostage without being blatantly obvious about it.
0: I, I still think you would need something on the equivalent of a Soviet political, political officer. And for those of you who are with that, the political officer in the most in most Soviet uh, military organizations, his job was to make sure that no one went, went south, so to speak. He was to make sure everyone was... Right on on, on on track with this, with Soviet policy.
2: political officer read the daily Pravda paper. He explained Soviet possibility. He tried to put it in the best possible light. But his job was also to just execute on-the-spot
0: dissenters. Yeah, and that's I'm thinking that you'd have to have some exonauts who are, well, they have, they have been groomed. Unlike the ones who feel like they're, you know, their fans could die at any moment, these guys— the Exonauts live in that lap of luxury. These guys live in the in the in that lap's lap.
2: Or that Exonaut actually was born into one of the preeminent merchant families. He has a stake in the system.
0: Yes, and there has to be at least one of them in every team, just to keep the others in line. Otherwise, there's nothing keep there's nothing stopping these guys from going walkabout.
2: It would be like having a Rockefeller, a Kennedy, a Trump on your team.
0: And if you don't have enough, you may have to make one of them, one of, one of these uh, special families. As you say, you give a promotion. Your family now is one of the families. You get a seat in the in the Grand Council. Just make sure they stay in line. If you're one of the 100. Yeah, the 100. Or 101, whatever. Uh, it's to make sure they stay in line. Or if you can't do that, at least you make sure they marry into one of the families, the 100. So they, they're not, they're now a part of that. Yeah, basically, you need something to keep these guys in line, to keep them from, from basically having a conscience and working against the, the, the Republic.
2: So I envisioned this as versus the typical fringe empire that's militant and tries to seize control of the fringe path by force of arms. This one just uses commerce and manipulation. It operates without raising an army. You're coming down the fringe path with an army. They meet you with a representative who simply tries to buy your general. Oh, that's, you know, wow, you represent the Coptics, really? How many men do you have? A hundred. Do you really like the Coptics? Do you really want to be part of the Feral? Because I will give you this house right here. And a similar one for every one of your men. Come on over. We have cookies. So versus fighting – because they're also where in Venice's history of very costly wars, they were parts of the – they operated in parts of the Crusades. How costly it is. It's better to be the man selling the guns than the man carrying them.
0: I can see that. I mean, yeah, it's very Machiavellian. You, you get them on your side by making sure that they have – you give them things they can't get otherwise. <sighs>
1: Yeah, you offer them a a deal they can't refuse, you know? You know, you make them one of the family. You make them a made man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: The other way they do is they hold down the tech level of their neighbors to assassinate the Teslas, the Edisons, the Marie Curies, the Einsteins. Come on over or never get heard from again. Surreptitiously gone. And I've been debating whether they they seek out fringeworthy and just simply kidnap ones that they they can retrain into their own exonauts.
0: Oh, so they're they're hanging around nurseries and stuff like that. I was thinking, I was considering they
2: might do that. They may go on other client worlds, and if they're children under the age of 10 or something like that, they might just simply kidnap them to, to bolster their own exonaut core.
1: So they run into, let's say, Earth Prime teams. What's going to be the uh, modus operandi then? How do you think it's going to work out?
2: The appearance of traders they're going to just basically continue to come on in, but they won't actually deliver them to back to the Republic of Venice. They're going to try and keep the location camouflaged. They'll bring them to a client world. Okay, because they're
1: going to know that without too much effort – that the Earth primers are way above
2: steam level in technology. They're going to give promises they never have any intention of delivering on.
0: How many of these astronauts are ex-pirates? Fringe pirates? I would think none.
1: They're none, but... It's not the pirate philosophy, John.
0: Yeah, you're right. The pirate philosophy is... uh, There's always another world next note over. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Rape and pillies, grab fast, ride hard, and, and enjoy yourself
0: while the ride lasts. And if they got bigger guns, trade. Yeah, definitely.
2: The astronauts would probably try to do trade, but they're going to trade what would be their typical trade goods and things that would expire.
0: Oh, this is a nice pistol you gave me. It uses caseless rounds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I'm going to do with this when I run when it runs out of bullets? Well, we can sell you more bullets. Now, I'll just take this back home. We'll take it to the lab. We'll figure out what you did. We'll make our own bullets.
2: They will try to get themselves invited back to Earth Prime and do it as a means of reconnaissance.
0: Because my team, too, you met my team, too. They probably would invite them back, too, wouldn't they? And they
2: are definitely going to want to know who are, if not client states, who's the allies and traders of Earth Prime. They're going to be aggressively mapping out who's this challenger. What is this challenger now? What is this challenger capable of doing?
0: Actually, I think the most important thing they want to find out is what's your highest level key?
2: Well, if you have a high enough level key, they may just,
0: you know, here, try this drink. If you have a lower key and they get your location, they can always try to lock down your portal. Lock down all the prime portals. By this time, we're probably talking uh, standing guard on the prime portal. It just takes a really big bomb inside of a vehicle, John. Yeah,
1: that's true. You can cleanse one of those 600-foot platforms without that much trouble. A fuel-air
3: explosive would probably do a job. Yeah. Uh, Peter? Sure. I imagine a very powerful military organization. This would form after the collapse of the Commonwealth. So imagine you've, you've got a, a very active Commonwealth group. And then all of a sudden, the whole system collapses. And these guys are like, uh-oh. And the collapse causes them to start having mad paranoia because they're, they're worried about... Who now is controlling the French pass? Who has access? Who can do what? So, you know, I, I see these guys forming something similar to, like, the Star Wars Empire. So as, you know, the Empire. But they're not doing it for conquest. They're doing it mostly for protection and such. But they travel around a lot and do do exploration, much like uh, Idet does. But they viciously protect the nodes on either side of them. So, you know, they would become a quick no go type of zone because they don't even really want anyone else wandering into their territory so as so long as they go to another world and that other world isn't traveling the French paths on they haven't discovered the French paths and have a, have a travel program themselves they're fine with them you know they'll trade with them and stuff but the second they start to try and venture out on their own you know these guys would shut them down because they, they don't want anyone anywhere near them exploring and looking around and such I mean, what's what's their culture like? I'm thinking, you know, military kind of like Spartan maybe might be a good way to go. Yeah, yeah, might be a good way to look at it. Fascists? Definitely fascist.
1: So the government owns all the industries.
3: Yeah, the government is in control of everything.
0: Yeah, so we're talking Italian fascists or German fascists? <laughs> or Spanish fascists. They actually last the longest. Nobody
3: knows the difference besides you, John. So, they allow commerce and they, they allow trade with corporations, you know, corporations to, to do their trade and stuff, but the government basically has full control. At any point, they can, you know, exercise their muscle, uh, and there's, there's no protection to the people or to the corporations as to what the government says. It's kind of how, you know, some Republicans see America. Not not all Republicans. This is not a bash on them. I'm saying some of your some of the people who are super right wing. Not taking the bait. No, no, I'm not trying I'm not trying to bait anyone. I'm saying the crazy ones. Not you, Paul. You're perfect.
2: <laughs> that was sweet. Who's who's actually libertarian, but No,
3: no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In in all seriousness, these guys would be somebody that I debt. Probably become enemies with in in one way in that they wouldn't be able to go in that region. But at the same time, they would just probably be like, all right, well, for right now, we're just not going to go past there. We're just not going to go into their their territory. We'll explore all the stuff we've found up until that point and maybe go in the other direction. And then if it becomes imperative that we go through that area, then we have to decide whether we want to fight that battle or not. Or if maybe we can talk them out of their paranoia. You get to set up some kind of a free travel deal with them where like you don't go to any of
1: their worlds and you stay right in the middle of the pathway all the way down to their node and you do checkpoints all along the way and get your your visa stamped every set, you know, and, and there's there's little time clocks, little mechanical time clocks you to plug into to make sure you didn't have any time to run off and do something else in the meantime.
3: Bruce, that would be a best case scenario, and that would be something like if you had something to offer them that they needed, they might cut that deal with you.
1: They might prefer it over getting into open war with you.
3: Or, or it could be one of these things where they they charge you basically a toll. So they'll let you go through, but you have to pay them. And generally, it's pay them in like technology that you find, or so. Like in other words, you you go out to some world, and when you come back. You know, you have to let them search through your goods, and uh, if you have some good stuff, you might have to turn some of it over to them.
2: How do they feel about war and battle? Is it a necessity? Is it an instrument, a tool of political power? Or is it glory everlasting?
3: No, they're not into the whole glory thing,
2: so... So they don't have some sort of Viking or samurai approach to war, where it's, it's, the, it's the achievement or the ultimate perfection of your warrior
3: art... They see it as a necessity thing. Like, they are terrified of outsiders. So it's an instrument or a tool of political power. Right, yes. And protection of a
1: perceived threat. Which is everything outside of themselves, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Of course. Okay. So if they think that one of you is a meller, that'd be it?
3: Oh, yeah, you're done. You're all done.
0: Yep. <laughs> and if they can't tell, that's all of you gone.
3: Yeah, hmm you're all
1: done. So what happens if one of their client worlds decides to revolt? They would crush it like insects if they could. So they're, they're keeping their client worlds
3: also at a technological disadvantage? Yeah, I would imagine. Okay. So so how many frenchworthy do they have? Basically boil down to what level the game master wants to put put them at, you know, does does he want them to be as experienced or more experienced than the frenchworthy? If I were doing this, I would have them run into these guys late campaign and I would have them not have nearly as many fringe worthy but you wouldn't know that right away so that at some point the team could figure this out IDET or the team or whoever could figure this out and you know basically just muscle their way through and eventually convince these guys, look, we have more muscle than you we don't want to attack you and convince them through their same threatening tactics that you know, just let us go through and leave us alone um, and we'll all be okay. Uh, but then again, you know, you might have a group that gets all altruistic and, you know, wants to do the whole, oh, I, Debt likes to help people and sees these people, you know, being being held down and and they want to, you know, they want to help them. And if you want to do something like that, if, if you want your game to go that direction, then one of the things you could do is you could say that these guys being cut off from the Commonwealth, they weren't quite prepared for it. So their technology took a big dive because they, you know, like we were saying before, they, they had machines, but they didn't have the machines that made the machines. So as things started to break down, they didn't know how to fix them. It's like, well, we, we never really knew how to fix any of this stuff. We had guys that did that for us. You know, we, we had, you know, the Terminal engineers came in and fixed it for us whenever it broke because, you know, they were cool like that. And then when the system broke down, they, they didn't know how to do any of that stuff. You know, say, for example, most of our modern society, if we were reduced to you know, 25% of our society, there's a lot of things that wouldn't work anymore because you'd lose a lot of people with specialties that just don't exist anymore. And you know, I don't know how to build a TV.
2: If all your nuclear power plant technicians didn't come back to work tomorrow. Right. How long does the nuclear power plant run before it automatically shuts itself down in safe mode? Less than 12 hours. Right.
3: Exactly. I mean, think, think about it in, in these terms. I mean, I know some gardening, but like I wouldn't know how to run a farm. I, I would probably kill most of my crops, you know, with the first go. I might figure it out after a while. Peter,
1: even if you knew gardening, it doesn't mean you'd have a clue how to run a modern
3: commercial farm. It's a totally different animal. Oh yeah, that's no, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like yeah, I could I could grow food for my family maybe, but like to go run a farm? Oh no, I have no clue. I'd probably kill all the animals. I don't know anything about how to rotate crops. I mean, I know you do, but I don't know how what crops you rotate right you know I, I'd probably grow two things in a row that would destroy the soil you can
1: put a little bit extra insecticide down on your garden and it probably won't hurt anything but you do that on a big commercial farm and you're poisoning you know the the soil because that all adds up and that all gets into the watershed sure and the next farm down suddenly nothing will grow on it and they're coming at you with guns it's a little different when you get to the
0: scale of certain things. Just butchering your own animal—if you've never butchered an animal before, for most people that would be impossible.
3: So I'm saying that, that that if you wanted to, you you could devolve these guys down to where you know maybe they have some technology, but like in, in other areas they're seriously lacking, which would give the team somewhat an advantage over them, which they would need if your goal as a GM is to get them back into the fold. IDAT's going to have to have some kind of you know, great advantage over them to make that happen without, you know, a total slaughter. How many worlds do you see your particular power center encompassing? This one's not a lot. I'm seeing maybe two nodes on either side. They're, they're not like super big explorers. Their paranoia kind of holds them back. But the nodes that they control, they control them completely, and they control them all the way up to the systems. So basically all their fringe were there. They're basically just doing guard duty, more or less. For the most part, but, I mean, there's trade going on. Well, they got their node and the two nodes on either side, so they got five nodes to explore. You know, you've got entire worlds that they can explore, so they're probably pretty busy still. I mean, depending on how long they've been on the French path. But if they've only been on the French path for 10 years, I mean, you could spend 10 years exploring five nodes. Jack, you can spend 10 years exploring one world, just one, one world. Well, I'm saying it's like I, I don't see them as being just doing guard duty. I, I, I see them doing exploration because they're still one in 100,000. So I still see them doing exploration and, and um, you know, still building their – it would be a large empire by Earth standards but a small empire by French standards. Yeah, so they have their barricades on the platforms, and not
0: set up such, especially on the alt platforms, set up such that they're not convenient for just driving on through. So they have the jersey jersey barriers in place to keep you from just driving right through.
3: <laughs> I would say, if you're gonna use this, I wouldn't play them as evil per se. You know, they may seem evil in some ways, but like, for example, if you guys come on the path, they don't just mow you down. They give you a warning. Turn around. Turn around. They'll, they'll let you leave. They're more than happy to let you leave.
0: Where are your papers? <laughs> right.
3: Go away. This is Albania. Go away. I think it would be a mistake to play these guys as, you know, just straight up evil bad guys. Is there anything
1: special about them that you think would really
3: make them an awesome uh, group to interact with? Like I said, they were part of the Commonwealth. So... I'm going to say that they still do know some stuff and they still do have some things left over from that time. So they may have access to some gadgets that are like in their big museum or maybe they have some knowledge, You know, maybe this is where the team finds out about the French train or something like that.
0: They have the equivalent of H.G. Wells, the time travel, you know, the the time machines talking books, i.e. memory crystals.
3: Yeah, okay. Memory crystals that date back to before the war. They may have books, like log books of other worlds. They just don't go to them because it's, it's outside of their, their range. And they're just like, well, if you go, to, you know, 10 nodes down this way, there was a world that did this. You know, so they may just be a good source of, you know, their library may be like the Library of Alexandria. Maybe that's what's cool about them.
0: Trouble is getting there because they're that paranoid. Getting to their world would be – is basically like getting into the, to the to Forbidden City during the height of the Jap- Ch- Chinese Empire.
3: Yeah, and this is maybe this is something that the, the game master you know he toys around with this idea for a while. And then when he wants to bring the team in, maybe one of their people comes and finds them. And they're like, well, what are you doing all the way out here? And maybe they've been hit with some really nasty, massive plague. And they're like, we're desperate. We need help.
2: I say, would they be a, maybe a sanctuary for a fringe technician? Could be. Like a Smurt or a Guadra or somebody else? Or have some cryogenically frozen and they don't know what to do with them?
3: Could be that, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, or seeing a big pile of keys, and oh well, no, 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 we don't want to give them away. That's too dangerous. <laughs> or a key factory, right? Oh dear, if they had a key factory, no, you just show up, you just show up and say, hey, hi there, here's everything you need. Bye. Yeah, we're going be, to become the new to melon for you.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, you know, you can make a key factory, but it only produces like gray keys <laughs> because you don't have the technology to reprogram it to make higher level keys. Or it's like Kryptonian technology, you gotta put in the right key, then it replicates it. But only if you put in the correct code sequence. But I like the Iberry idea, the the, the the source of knowledge, especially if it's fragmentary, like you have part of a crystal, you have part of the information. Right. And you have to sort of seek out the next piece of it. Right. Maybe something like I said national treasures where you have to link the clues together to
0: find it. Mm-hmm. One of the clues is the memory. Unfortunately, the memory is, is basically uh, of like two or three days in a guy's life before you finally find the bit of information that would help you with it. So you may have to sit there with the memory memory crystal. It, it, actually, we call for role-playing at that point. You say, okay, let's find this out. We're we going to have everyone sit down, and Joe's going to play with the memory crystal. But now we're going to give you, here's your new characters. And it'll be a role-playing session where you're playing the memory out.
2: Oh, I say, yeah, you could have it. It's a psychic imprint. So, only, the, only a psychic on your team can access that memory.
0: Ooh. And if you don't have one, you're going to have to, have to find one.
2: Which is another adventure in and of itself.
0: If she's still around, waylay. <laughs> but then again, you have to go all the way back and come all the way back here. And, uh...
3: I'm telling you, I'm empathic. I'm not psychic. <laughs> <laughs> Stop putting that onto my head. <laughs> my I don't have hands.
2: That's my nose. That's a long line of Chinese cake act <laughs> What?
0: No, it's a business. Yeah, I was doing the blizz. He's doing your blizz.
2: Yeah, they're the ones with the nasal thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I got my non-human creature's voice characteristics confused. Yeah. Jay's the one who does the, the <laughs> does the key gag. John does the
0: slorgs. <laughs> and I don't know who does the Tim Timelon. I also do Timelon, too, but yeah. Yeah, right. You're, you're right. You're the one who does the... Um. We were doing the blizzness It's the, the mixie. You said that's the one we, I think we all sort kind of... Um. Well, that's right. They have a kind of... a, a Wasn't it a rumbly... Wispy voice. Because they're talking out of their ad, they're talking out of their arse. Out of their spiracles, I think you're the term you're looking don't they, for. Don't they have sort of like a
2: harmonica sound blowing through? Yeah. The kind of whistling tone where it's tonal, could like you're at the top end of the low end of a harmonica.
3: Maybe. So they sing in bluegrass bands a lot.
2: They're a traveling bluegrass band. Maybe they're <laughs> blues traveler. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's tired from running up the hill <laughs> <laughs>
2: which totally defeats any stealth they might have <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> who sounds like a bagpipes with a cold <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm really
3: tired
1: <laughs> now see if I was them I'd just go and like throw some some webbing on some nearby trees bungee myself up in the air parachute up that hill I would,
0: I wouldn't be walking up the hill make some cable and put some uh, put some grappling hooks on and there you go he's up the hill you're like yeah. okay guys come up and get me so bruce oh you want me to go next okay yeah saving the best
1: for last we'll let john do cleanup that's fine all right okay so as far as my power center is concerned i've been playing with a concept for quite some time in my Fringeworthy campaign you guys have heard about them slightly, and this is the Dentini Hegemony, which everyone always finds the name very, very mysterious. And it turns out that they are the Dentini Hegemony marketing group on an expo world. Ooh. According to our semi-official canon, all the expo worlds were able to defeat the Meller that were on them. So I had to think to myself, you know, why that was, This is a world which is filled with all kinds of stuff. We're talking everything from technology to bio and all all kinds of different levels. Because once you join the Commonwealth, you're not necessarily at the the godlike level. We've talked about this, that maybe there are some people at a much lower level, they're working their way up. So these expo worlds are where they go to find out what's the next step that they want to take to advance their civilization, to advance their tech, to advance whatever it is that they want to advance. And so this world is a very rich supply of ideas. And what the Dentini Hegemony Group does is they're all about getting that idea out there with their name on it. They don't really care what the technology is or what the idea is. As long as they get to market it, as long as they get to get everybody behind it, and, and everyone say, oh yeah, that's you know the Dentini hegemony Kleenex. That's the Dentini hegemony fabrication plant. That's the Dentini hegemony sea uh, uh, farm. As long as they, they get that out, they're happy. Because in the real commonwealth, the godlike commonwealth, everybody has everything they need as far as materials and wealth and things like that. So what are they looking for? What are they still competitive about? And to me, what it is, is they're competitive about fame and fortune or fame, about recognition, about being the people that's known to be, well, the next to Tomellern, you know, the guys who are almost as good as the Melarn. Well, that's how I would see these guys as being. They want to be known as, you know, they don't, they don't yeah, the Tomellern did all kinds of stuff, but yeah, we're the ones who were behind getting all the, 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 the coordination of getting that dam built on your world. So that's what they do. These were people who had been in, in, cry, uh, in cryostasis until they were found by the Fringeworthy. The reason they were in stasis was because they really need a good market. And, and worlds that have collapsed and are, are rebuilding themselves up from, like, sticks and rocks, they don't need a marketing group there. They need people who are tech, uh, at least basic technological. I would say at least 16th on up in technology. Century that is so they're waiting for someone to find them and when they and because they figure anybody who finds them at least is probably going to know some have some idea about technology and have a civilization that's rich enough that or could take advantage of their what the what they have to offer which is the ability to get what you want with our help. So what happens is they they come in and the first thing they say to you is, okay, tell us all about you. Tell us what it is that you do and what you care about and everything. And then they'll start offering them stuff. Well, how about this? How about that? How about this? Would you like this? Wouldn't your your world be better if it had this or that? And these are all things that they're going to start saying, we'll bring that to your world. We'll make sure you learn how to use it and build it yourself. As long as we get credit for bringing it to your world, as long as our name is on the lips of everyone who uses that product or uses that service, we're happy. And so they're spreading out like a web uh, you know, to surrounding worlds, not trying to dominate the worlds in a sense of you know we're the overlords, but more like they're controlling them because they're giving them things and they know that there's something better. Whatever they get is what we can use now, but there's something better. They promised us that if we get to this, then we'll be able to do that. And so that's how they're controlling them, by keeping the the carrot always ahead of them. But they're trying to control them to make them more and more advertising vehicle for them. Whenever they go out to explore other worlds. They always carry mailer or catalogs with them? or you know laptops are, are the similar memory crystals you know it's like here here's a memory crystal bing okay now you could experience what it's like to do a 0g jump from space
0: sounds a bit like the celestial department store from lost in space they had everything you want you just got to be, be able to afford to pay for it. Right.
1: And see, they're not that interested in payment. They want you to adopt it. Now, the people that they're going to run into trouble with are going to be the people like the Victorians, who don't want their civilization changed. They like things the way they are. So they're going to say, no, no, no. We don't want all this stuff, all this crud that you want to give to us. We are going to be very careful about that. And they're going to be like, okay... All right. Then tell us more about your civilization. Tell us more about what it is that you want to be. We're willing to work with you. So they're kind of like uh, the devil's advocate. You know, they're they're the slickest salesman you'll ever meet. The first one is always free with these
0: guys. Uh, here's a question: Are the, the teeny one race? Are they actually? Because the expo worlds are are multicultural and multi-species. They're multi-species.
1: Yeah, so you you get that whole thing where we can send all you know all kinds of different people. If you're a different race than I we are, we probably have someone similar to you. You have a whole world to draw from. They were all in stasis, and they only thaw people out as they have a reason to, as they have somebody they, they need to go and and do something for them. Now I'm I'm being really loose about how many fringe worthy there are. If necessary, then we could you know then they could set up some kind of a long you know a, a, a thing where they have to start figuring out how to. Produce fringe worthy kids and things like that. They would be the ones that would be saying, Hey, you know, you're fringe worthy. We'll make you immortal if you'll, like, you know, carry a dozen fetuses to term and then we'll grow them ourselves and up to adults and train them and stuff like
0: that. And, and, and you can then be immortal. How about that? Is that a good deal? And understand this works for either male or female. Yes. Males or female can carry fetuses. Yes, they can.
1: It's been proven by the fact that a woman. Uh, gave birth to a fetus that was attached to her liver, not not to her reproductive system, especially with a higher a super high tech culture, you know with a certain amount of of uh, support for endocrine and things like that, anybody could be able to carry a baby to term. and so anybody could be a parent or uh, a mother, so to speak, regardless of your genitalia. And if you're French, you don't know, actually have to carry the turn. You just have to carry it through the portal and back. Exactly. That's and that's true too. Just walk them through, bring them back, reimplant them in somebody local. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And they would be all for that. They'd be like, you know, to them, the, it's all about the deal. You know, they their moral thing is they they still follow the Commonwealth idea that you know you don't want to give somebody something that's going to cause them to destroy their world. You don't want to create a, a something that will pr- promote slavery or promote a breakdown of government. We want to promote the one world government. But the best way of doing that is to make sure that everybody's fat and happy. And the best way of doing that is you taking the products we have to offer, making them on your own world with, of course, proper ecological safeguards. And if somebody over there needs some materials that's on your world, Uh, We'll be glad to get you guys going together because then
0: you're all working together to produce products on both worlds that will have our name on it. Yeah, and they have something extra special. We were talking about memory crystals. These guys probably have learning crystals plunk on your head, you now have that skill.
1: I don't know about that, but they definitely have every possibility that you'd have for the biotech.
0: That's true, too, yeah.
1: They, they basically, they said, what do you want? They, they said, do you have something to offer us? And they said, yeah, we got the cure for the meller. You know, we, we've we got this thing that you spray them on the meller, they revert back to old meller." And they're like, whoa, that's great, man, because, you know, when we went to sleep, we, we, we basically either killed off or Captured and and restrained all the mellor on this world, but the war was just going on big time. And, you know, there was really, you know, everything was falling apart. So we didn't, you know, we didn't know there was a cure. That's great. We'd love to take that cure and market it to a million, million worlds. So what do you want in exchange? And they thought long and hard about it. They basically decided they wanted an animal that could reproduce, uh, preferably asexually, it would produce as a natural process. Dock boxes, because there was always a big issue about even the fringeworthy were having trouble getting access to dock boxes because there's a lot of people who need dock boxes on the Earth and all the client worlds and uh, the, all the other members of the Commonwealth that uh, the, the Earth Prime Commonwealth. And there's just not enough dock boxes to go around. So now, all of a sudden, we've got, you know, one one Craig 2, two Craig 4, 8, 16, so on and so forth, all of them producing dock boxes at the same time. You know, they, they figure that within probably, uh, certainly within the next century, dock boxes will be in every home in the alien core, at least,
0: if not more. I can see the Miller spray. Turns out there's some poor, poor slarg has been milked His saliva has been milked for the uh, (laughs) antidote.
1: Well, that was part of my campaign where I basically ended the middle campaign by giving them the Mellor cure. Because I wanted to then go into the late campaign. And we already said that in the late campaign, the Mellor, if they still do exist, are not going to be as troublesome as they were before. Because there'll be enough fringe worthy and enough technology and enough firepower that if you're dealing with the Meller, they're going to be dealing with them more on a Machiavellian level where they're inside the governments and they're trying to make them go against the Fringeworthy rather than just being a kind of a combat monster that they run into. So that's one reason I said I, I was nerfing the Meller in a sense by doing that, but I was also basically saying, look, here's a cure. So therefore when you go to these worlds, you don't have to constantly be worrying about the meller coming up and eating you in your sleep. You know, I mean, you could spray everybody you come into, and it probably won't hurt them unless they're allergic to it. You know, but it would turn a Mellor back to an old Mellor. that had its own issues. Because <laughs> now you have somebody running around who can who can basically uh, take all your memories and be you better than you can be you. The Grand Vizier was a meller. ah, yeah. and what a great Grand Vizier he was. It's a great. <laughs> it's a shame he's gone now. You
3: killed our god! <laughs> death to the death to the Earth Primers! So, so wait a minute, Bruce. Has anyone done a Star Wars reference to them? Dentini! <laughs> Dentini!
0: Now, the first thing I'd say when I heard the name was that okay, they must be dentists. Yeah, I have a
1: lot of funny names in my campaign. The, the most high-tech group of people until they ran into the Dentini hegemony are the world that was called the Zamboni uplift world. Was it an ice world? No, it wasn't. It just happened to be the name of this, science, this very gifted scientist who figured out a way of solving their population problem by taking all the water on the planet, uh, the oceans, I should say, all the salt water on the ocean and lifting it up five miles off the surface. So they had all that area underneath to expand to. So did they drive around large vehicles with, you know, planers underneath them? Or? It's just the name, John. I say they saved the world through ice hockey. In my campaign, they, they they take these people with a great grain of salt because these were also the same people that were behind releasing a zombie plague on one world. They were funding, working with this one group of scientists to create a, but a rescue bios solution where soldiers that got hurt would turn into this zombie-type form and shamble their way back to some places they could be rescued. They never were able to complete the project. They only got like halfway done where they kind of like turned into zombies but didn't actually work out. And so people on the world a thousand years later break into the laboratory, release what they call a plague, and of course it turns the whole world into zombies, you know, just like in, in, in your standard zombie apocalypse. And I use it on that one of the world It is the zombie world The, the dead world It's on the, the, the fringe maps It's the prime So they were responsible for this They were the ones that were helping the team do it And when somebody decided to go a different direction They just mothballed it Left it there Went on to something else Because they had a bigger better deal going on now uh, They had something else that they were going to try to do As this, the ultimate solution For the Commonwealth Mellor problem so they don't clean up after themselves very well. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there in the fringe pass that I intend on I have these guys running into time and time again, where something has been kind of left behind, and people got their hands on it, didn't know what they were doing, and caused big problems to their worlds. But they themselves, the Dentini said, "Well, we knew that there was a problem. Why did you come back? We'll, we'll go back there and help them out." Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, we we have a we have an antidote for this too. Yeah, we have an antidote to the antidote, yeah.
2: They seem like they have kind of a colossal case of <laughs> megalomania spiced with a bunch of vanity, too.
1: They definitely think that they're the stuff. They think they're the best thing in sliced cheese and that every world should be happy to have them. They're flatterers to the end degree. They're, the fa- they're totally all face men and face women whatever, or, and face monsters or whatever you want to call them because that's they're all about the deal you know they'll make whatever deal is necessary as long as they don't really do something bad they do have a moral line that they draw but most of the time that's a very very shady line the one with the zombie world you're taking a person and you're converting them into a mindless monster you know for the purposes of getting them someplace where they can then be restored back to health instead of just leaving them to die on the battlefield well that sounds good, in theory. It, it may not work out so well in practice. It's a, it's a working solution, you know? There's always bugs you gotta work that's out, know? That's right, you know? You know. You know, you know? <laughs> and they're like that, that's what they're like. It says, well, you know, you can't make egg omelets without breaking eggs. But don't worry, you know, we have this great garbage disposal
0: and <laughs> we'll take care of it. I'm trying to remember if Expo Worlds actually had manufacturing on them or were they just showcases? Well, they have a certain amount of manufacturing.
1: But mostly they're showcases. The technology they have available, it's not that hard to make anything. They can't make it in huge supplies. What they do is that they, they give you the prototype. They give you the basic thing that you need, and it's your job then to go and disseminate and, and build multiples and see it's like the opposite of what Paul's doing, which is, which is why I was raising the question, is that they go to a world and they're like, we want to give it to you. We just want to give it away. As long as you keep our logo on it, that's fine with us.
0: Sounds like you know, they actually have the, the the terminal equivalent of a three D printer, but it's you know it's it can only do one thing at a time, and it still takes time to make something.
1: They can't fulfill everybody's needs immediately, but they would go through and primarily what they would do is they would look at uh, at all your industries or whatever, and they would say what is what's the what's the bottleneck? Okay, we're going to fix that, and then the next bottleneck up here is okay, now we're going to fix that. And then the next thing happens, and we're going to go and take care of that. So you're always going to need them because they're always there to help you with your problems, okay? Because there's always another bottleneck. There's always going to be another challenge that follows it. And all the time this is going on, they're getting all the glory.
0: They're, they're the great saviors. Were they a big expo world or a small expo world? John, I I don't see a difference. The small e-expos, the one that dealt with cultures that met two of the three uh, criteria for joining the Commonwealth. They need to go to the small e-expo world to get the stuff that helps them get make it to that next step. Get to, you know, step three, and now they can go to the big e-expo world and get all the goody-goody-goody stuff.
1: You'll have to show it to me, John, because I've never heard of it. But it doesn't matter. I mean, certainly the Expo worlds can come in many different flavors. There could be ones like that. I just basically said that they were a general overall thing where people would come from all over the Commonwealth to try to to convince these people that they had the greatest idea there ever was. And then they would put their marketing behind it to get the vast majority of the Commonwealth worlds to convert over to whatever – this technology was that they were trying to promote. So this is how technology got disseminated. When I say technology, I mean both bio and mechanical. Technology got disseminated through the Commonwealth by these kinds of people pushing solutions out to worlds where they were willing to say, hey, we'll put aside what we had before because this is so much better. But so there's a constant competition on those worlds before the fall to... Prove that your solution was the better solution and And that everybody should adopt it You know, now they're very limited Compared to what they were before Because it used to be that they could say Hey, we will outfit your entire world with this product Just call the big system Boom, there you go It's all there Okay, they can't do that anymore So now it's a harder job Now they have to go and actually take some of that lesser technology and go over there and teach you how to build the tools you need in order to get the technology that you're trying to sell you in
0: in a mind cell. And it sounds like they also have people in stasis, as you said, who may actually have extra knowledge. They may not be fringe-worthy, but they may have the knowledge you need to at least uh, they can try to teach you or at least impart some of that knowledge. So that's maybe another reason why they get decanted out of stasis and so they can help, well, disseminate, you know, Tell you how you build how to build this thing
1: right well and as, as i said those memory crystals you're talking about they may not teach you something but as you said you could go and they could they, one of these people could go and use the memory crystal to mentally go through the steps of doing something and so the next person who puts it up their head or in their hand and they they, they trigger it then they get to see oh this is so they how you do it and they get taught and they could. They could take these crystals, these memory crystals, and they could be taking them around different worlds and using it as a training method. If they don't expunge themselves as they get played, then you could do it again and again and again. Most of trou- crystals just says the, the last thought.
0: I don't recall whether or not they, they repeat playback. But then again, you know, this is the expo world they have the memory the memory crystal player. You know, everyone sits down in the room, sits there and looks at the player, they put the crystal in and you all get that memory. And it right. doesn't go away because you're just playing it. You're not actually plunking it to someone's head. Right.
1: But also this is a
0: great place for you as a GM to go
1: and introduce all those weird things that Paul says, what? what do they really have out there? Here's where you can justify them being there. This is where you can let your imagination run riot this is essentially what should have been the epitome of the Commonwealth, of the of the height of the Commonwealth. Now, the world may not be in great shape now because time has passed or whatever, but still, there should be like a zillion great ideas just sitting around, literally
0: sitting around, waving at you. Yep, and also 10,000 versions of a queesing art. But, you know, that's how it is. <laughs> Because they're competing. Yeah,
1: there were guys there saying, my is better than your Cuisinart. Really? How? Show me why yours is better than ours. Okay, we're going to have a head-to-head. Yeah, see this iron block? There it is. Grind, grind, grind. It will grind it. <laughs> They'll still take those iron filings and turn them into uh, tapioca pudding.
2: The Tremelan equivalent of the Smithsonian Museum?
1: Yeah. I'm actually thinking more along the lines of Iron Chef where you guys coming in, grabbing all kinds of crazy stuff, put it together and say, this is
2: great stuff. Oh, no, Junkyard Wars. They're, except they're using really high tech to do it. We're going to take this fusion power source. We're going to take this robot arms. And we're going to use this. I don't know what that is. It's gelatinous, and it thinks. We'll use it for a computer. And this dead to Mixi, he doesn't need legs. We'll use the legs. So we've got a fusion-powered gelatinous-brained something. Get
1: back to me later on what it does. I I think, Paul, you're getting to get the idea of why I think this is such an
0: awesome idea. And for those of you not familiar, junkyard, go Google junkyard wars, because it's it's enough in the past. There's people right now listening who have never heard of it before. So go Google junkyard wars. Probably find episodes on YouTube.
1: The British one is better. Yes, the British one is definitely better.
0: Yes, she's cuter too.
1: (laughs) I don't care about that. I mean, they're crazier. They do stuff that's really, really crazy in that one. All right, well, that's basically my idea. The uh, Dentini Hegemony Expo World. And it's web of influence through uh, giving you whatever it is you really, really want. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there,
0: so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game,
3: hate the players.
0: And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr.
2: Grenade is no longer your
0: friend.
3: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming.
2: It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers. This was the tri Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker. you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.